0: The Kung Fu Crew Podcast, bringing together practitioners of various styles and schools and their unique perspectives to explore the world of Chinese martial arts. Welcome to the next episode of the Kung Fu Crew Podcast. Now, the style that we will be focusing on today is Shinny Liu or Mind and Heart Six Harmony Boxing quite a mouthful but it's it has a it's a very interesting style it comes from the muslim communities of henan province and it is probably the origin of uh, many of the later xin yi and xin yi variations um, and as such has a pretty long documented history it might also have been connected to the development of chen style taiji chuan my guest is derek notman from massachusetts who has a lot of experience practicing and teaching um, that specific method which will be what like i said what we focus on and uh, Um, I hope that you found the interview as insightful as I did, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Kung Fu Crew podcast uh, and to the uh, new episode um, with uh, Derek Notman, who um, I actually know from a few years back because I I joined a couple of uh, virtual classes on Xinyi Luhe Chuan, which was... uh, will also be a main focus of our talk, but um, welcome here, uh, Derek. And maybe you want to um, share a few words or say, say a little bit, uh, about yourself, say something about yourself so that people know who I'm talking to.
1: Sure. Uh, hello. And thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Derek Notman. I, uh, am from the United States. I've been involved in Chinese martial arts for over 30 years, um, yeah, I, I I got into all this through an interest in philosophy and Taoism and uh, looking for an integrated system of thinking, healing, self-defense. You know, the whole Chinese concept of five excellences really appealed to me. And uh, so, yeah, I spent a lot of my life when I was younger just trying to find people to train with and study with. Now i'm 53 so back in the day it was not easy you know it was it was before everybody went to china and everybody went to thailand and all that um and uh so you know i started out with jujitsu and boxing and all kinds of different stuff but i was always most interested in the chinese arts because of the philosophical and the uh, i guess you could say esoteric but uh you know the deeper possibility that it pointed out other than just self-defense and so that was always for some reason interesting to me the idea of self-cultivation and enlightenment and all that so uh that really directed me toward the chinese arts um wing chun was the first chinese art that i trained and i had a really wonderful sort of deep apprenticeship with a guy in that out in portland oregon back in the 90s um a guy named clyde alvarado who was a good practitioner of Wing Chun and Filipino arts. And, uh, after that I started studying, I spent some time with James McNeil and learned Shingi and some Chen Tai Chi through him. And then I hooked up with Xie Pei Chi and Hu Jinbao and that crew out of Beijing. And I started studying Yin style Bagua probably spent, I don't know, 12, 15 years, mostly practicing that. I would go to Beijing and study with those guys, come see them in the States. And, uh, So that was great because Sherpechi was like Yoda. He was just a super cool old guy that was, you know, had incredible vigor and strength and was a really uh, funny character. Um, So that was uh, that was neat to be around all that and uh, it was a good introduction to what's possible in these arts. You know, he'd do things like his gray hair would get dark again because he'd be patting his head, or, you know, he he was always smoking and drinking and missing all his teeth. He was just a classic old-school character. Um, so that was a good practice for me. It's a huge art, so it was, like, overwhelming. You have eight animals, each has seven different hands, and that's 56 times, you know, I'm not, my brain doesn't work that way, but it was a huge Expansive material um i wound up moving to asia for a few years living in thailand uh did a little bit of muay thai but was mostly training bhagwa at the time you know i'd already been studying that for a long time and uh then let me see i moved back to the states was living in boston and i got introduced to my shingi liuhe chan teacher uh shui sheng pong um, just through a connection who knew I was interested in Shingiluha. Um, he knew Peng had just moved here from Shanghai. And so that was a beautiful thing. We, uh, you know, basically Peng and I trained together every morning for a few years. And, uh, you know, I had some foundation, and, uh, but it didn't take me long to realize that I didn't understand what I was doing. Just his physical body and what he was teaching me, I just couldn't do it. And so, um, I had to make a decision to sort of throw everything out and start over. And it was, uh, it was a great thing to be confronted with because it really, um, put me on that mindset of not knowing, you know, and when I was younger, I I could never get good fast enough. I wanted to be the guy who knew I wanted to be the teacher, you know, it was just what it was. And so, uh, I was in my own way. And so in a lot of ways, the starting over was, uh, profoundly liberating. And Shingi Luha is a very, I like to say, Shingi Luha is a short, direct path up the mountain. It's a hard climb, but it's quick, comparatively, because the shapes are just uh, so demanding. And, um, you know, sort of the idea in Shingi is like yoga you yoke to, you bind to liberate. So the idea in Shingi is we make the body into like a fist, everything comes together and through that the absence of the creation of shape and intent the body really releases so each time we're creating a shape we're engaging each time we're releasing we're releasing and that binary softens and opens the body over time the challenge is because we're working with tissue in the physical body it takes years to really change the body so everybody is quite often looking for a quick result where there isn't one and so Mm. uh yeah. Anyway, so I, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work in the healing and wellness space. So when I was in Boston, I had a healing arts practice right in downtown for many years, which allowed me free mornings to meet with Pong and train. And, um, so that was a beautiful experience and relationship. And since then I, you know, I keep working with Yi, but I, I also have studied some Gao style Baguazhang and Yang style Tai Chi with a guy named Yang Yusen, who's one of the best practitioners I've ever seen. He's, he's beautiful to watch. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of bounce between the three arts, but I would say that everything I understand is comes out of Xing Yi. And also I would say that the way that I understand Xing Yi is it's the mother art of the other two. Like you can find everything that's in Tai Chi and Bagua in Xing Yi in a different name and iteration and in a mm-hmm. different flavor of expression. But, you know i'm a believer that really the classic idea of the body is the hand and you have to be able to close the whole thing in harmony Mm. and open the whole thing kai and Hu, it's kind of that simple but simple done well is profound
0: Hmm. well i mean sinilu definitely has the the Probably the well, yeah, seems to have the longest history as well. You can trace it back the furthest. So, th- there's a lot of stuff that I would like to to dive into deeper. But um, maybe because you mentioned um, right at the beginning, you said, "Oh, you got interested in Chinese martial arts also because of this wholeness or the, this this you know the, the different aspects and elements of it." How would you define, like, if, if somebody asks you, "Okay, what is a actually what is a martial art, or what ha- what does a training method have to have for you to call it a martial art?"
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I for me, the whole martial distinction is kind of ridiculous, especially at this day and age. If you're really interested in fighting, go to an MMA gym. No question. Get it out of your system. Then come back and appreciate the deeper aspects that are available to these things. Because if you have a doubt the whole time, if you never do it, but you're training on martial art, but you never fight – it's it doesn't make any sense you know Mm -hmm. so then what you do is you don't really know if you know and so then you get a little bit uh what's the word i'm looking for the viciousness of somebody who's insecure you know what i mean it's like it's not real um for me You know, I I also grew up playing ice hockey, so and I grew up around an area of fishermen. So I knew guys when I was a kid that could fight, and it wasn't because they were martial artists. They were just tough and mean and hard, you know. So uh, to me, the the martial piece provides a – and even here I'm not speaking about fighting so much as the feedback you can get from proper training can provide a physical – response that allows you to develop something that's real um, and not just in theory you know and so Mm -hmm. i mean again just to qualify that because it's kind of contradictory the difference is that if you're never experiencing force put back on your body your shapes you don't know if they're really real right a lot of people in yoga you see it they're making the shape but there's no inner connection there's nothing really happening so Martial art can give you that feedback without the fighting, and that's useful to get stronger and healthier, and then maybe put yourself in a body that if you wanted to test the fighting piece, you could do so with some possibility, right? A lot of people, my general observation of Chinese martial arts is people are weak. They don't train very hard, and they haven't really gotten strong in the body. The Mm. release and the ease comes from having developed the strength and then giving it up.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I find it interesting when you look at how many many of the great masters you know that everybody looks up to, uh, how they, they learned or how they trained or even how they taught. In, in many cases, it seems to have been like, okay, so I only teach people who already know how to fight. People who train some basic stuff or wrestling or whatever and said, okay, you know, so you, you understand the basics. So now let's let's go in deeper. Um, so I, it kind of, it, it makes sense that you say yeah. actually be interesting, you know, to have the basic experience and then you go into these maybe more complex training methods and, and yeah.
1: Yeah, there has to be something there to work with. If you mm-hmm. haven't put together the raw material of the physicality, whether it's just the strength or the willingness to get in there and get roughed up, right? a lot A lot of people... You know, and and to some sense, this was true for me, too, right? Anybody that gets interested in fighting is coming from some degree of insecurity about being Mm. safe in the world. There's some fear around all that, you know, and and that's fair enough. Um, Not a problem. The, The idea that you're going to learn something intellectually that you're going to use physically to keep yourself safe and be tougher, it's just wrong. And and, and so a lot of people want to look at this fighting and be deadly, but they're just not even physical. And so uh, I think the Chinese martial arts in particular, because there is such a beautiful philosophical and spiritual component there, which is very real and very useful and beautiful. They can be attracted to that and then not want to put in the hard work that's behind that. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was really lucky in that my Xingyi Liuha teacher And I'll say, Shingiluha, as it was taught to me, is what my teacher called Hanjin, which is like it's an angry energy. Like he'd have me, there'd be a tree 100 yards away, and I'd be walking in the rooster step between two trees, and he'd be like, you're walking through that fucking tree. Like that's your mindset. It's like uh, I'm going through whatever gets in front of me. And that's really useful to get where you're trying to go, but it's not a great mind state to live in because it's Mm. intense. Shingiluha is a development. It's a, I'd say that the art in the beginning is all about stepping and later it's all about standing. It changes, but it changes based on the, how you've changed, right? It's not like, okay, now you do this. It's, it's organic. There's a recognition of what's really at work here. And you begin to, your practice will minimize quite naturally in a sense. Um, Mm -hmm. but basically Yes, you you have this um, real physical, criti- critical mass that gets hit, that integrates the body. The way I think of it, you have to first thing is unify the three sections of the body. Hmm. So I, I have all these, uh, you know, because I'm interested in philosophy, or at least I'm just wired that way, number and principle, classical education model, all these things, because I read, you know, Plato and all this. It's, it's a structure. It's a way of hmm. working with things. And, um, to me, that's inherent in Chinese martial arts. The numerology is everywhere. The idea of trivium and quadrivium are all throughout it. And, uh, so, so Xing is a aggressive kind of a mindset. My teacher was a very sweet guy who never brought up martial art. I didn't learn a lot of technique and fighting stuff from him. I'd done all that 15 years, 20 years prior to even meeting him. Um, He was really into the exercise and health aspect, and he was a very generous, kind person, which was really nice to see coming out of that tradition. But he was a brick shithouse. I was kind of like, you know, what are you going to do to him? He was wicked strong, compact, you know. And so to me, that's what Gong Fu does, is it it just makes you so nobody – you're going to be hard to deal with. And I don't think we Mm -hmm. can really be much more than that
0: was that also because you mentioned that i mean you, you had you had uh, done a lot of other training before you met your senior yuki teacher oh, and yeah. you said you, you, you mentioned before that you realized oh actually i didn't really understand what i was doing up until then but now you also mentioned this physicality was that one of the things that drew you to his teachings also to to see like oh, okay so he's really like like strong and, and stable and and all of that
1: yeah that's what made me realize I was living in a glass house was that his physicality was just so much more developed and I could see that it was from the practice. And so it was like, and I, I think back on that now in a sense, like she was a great practitioner and a great teacher. So it wasn't that I didn't know all these things. I'd heard everything. I'd heard all Mm -hmm. the classical stuff. I'd trained in a classical system. I just didn't understand it because I hadn't gone deep enough physically to have changes happen that I could then register and keep building on. It's a little bit like mm. a trail of breadcrumbs. And when I think back on why that was, there's a few things. One, I just didn't work hard enough. I didn't know how at that point, And I just wasn't ripe, if you will. But the other was in yin style Bagua, you know, I was practicing a hundred different hands, a hundred different things. Shingi Luha, it's just one. Just mm-hmm. one thing over and over. There's no form. There's just a single action done over and over. And my teacher, you know, he taught me rooster step, which is really no action to it. It's just stepping. You don't use the hands at all. And I did that for three months, only that, you know, just stepping because that was what it was. I was, uh, I was willing to do that because I'd been around Chinese Guang Fu long enough. I'd invested enough in it. And I wanted what was at the end of the road, you know? And so I I think that there are three things that are necessary. One is a profound desire because it takes time and a lot of work. The other is a method that you can learn. So you're not just randomly using your body. And the third is a teacher who has it embodied so you can feel it. You can see what it is. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it's an abstraction. And I know for me, prior to meeting my Luha teacher it was all abstraction i was doing the stuff i was training but i wasn't the mind and the body were not integrated and and Mm. so that critical mass when it gets reached then you become beyond the need of a teacher in a sense you learn how to learn and Mm. so like i can go i mean i can watch a video and i can do what that's doing because my body knows how to make shapes i've been doing this a long time or As you get better at martial arts, you can go spend an hour with somebody and get so much out of it because you're in a position to actually learn and absorb and embody what's being shown. But until you are, it doesn't matter how much of that you do. It doesn't show up in your own capacity.
0: Hmm. So, you mentioned, uh, I like this, this uh, three pronged three-pronged approach or the three basic elements. Let's talk about the method. I mean, when you, when you did start learning, you already mentioned that, okay, so this rooster stepping or chicken stepping. Um, so that was one thing. But, but how, would you, how would your teacher approach teaching you, what would that look like?
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, so he didn't speak a lot of English and I don't speak a lot of Chinese. So it was a lot of hands on, a lot of putting me into the shape. But, you know, he would always say to me, he said, you have foundation, so this is good, you know, for him as a teacher, and I, I can empathize with this, having been teaching myself, if somebody comes in, and they already can do some of the stuff, it just makes it so much easier, you know, mm-hmm. and I had the, the hunger for it, you know, so he would show me by doing the exercise, you know, it, Classical Chinese start saying some song in his head that is what defines the exercise. Show me each one of the little bits and then just have me do it. So, like, and he'd be on me, you know, lower and longer constantly. I'd be drenched in sweat, you know, when we were first started training. Um, you know, so the process was at first I learned the rooster step. I only did that until the rooster step creates an asymmetrical isometric contraction in the body that connects the, it, it solidifies the pelvis so you can sink the chi and connect to the earth. Because in Xingyi, we have this saying, rooster legs, dragon waist, uh, uh, bare back, tiger head embrace, eagle claw. That is the, uh, what do you call these things? Hieromorphic image, which is a different components of an animal. It's mm-hmm. also the order of creation. So when you get the rooster legs, you've stabilized the pelvis. Once the pelvis is stable and down, then the waist can be separated from the pelvis. So then you have drag and waist. When the waist begins to wake up, it starts to wake up all the muscles in the back from all the rotation and holding up. So then you get the bare back. Once you get that, then you get the tiger head embrace because the shoulders get subsumed into the back. The Mm. shoulders problem gets solved. Then you get the eagle claw because the strength from the back goes all the way out to the ends of the hands. So it's like a, it's a recipe. And so to make that recipe happen, you have to hit each stage. And so the first one is in that rooster shape. So in my experience in teaching this, people don't put enough into that and they don't go low enough and long enough to build that lower base and strength and pelvic floor and the psoas. I mean, there's so much integral physiological architecture that's getting strengthened through that, um, to then move on to the next shapes. And so it's really, that's what it is. It's like, you need hundred dollars to buy something. If you've only got 70, you got to keep going until you get the hundred dollars. And and this is, yeah, this is how that works. And so, my learning with him in general, it was very slow at first, but then once my body had changed, you know, so like I I do the rooster step for a while, then the next shape he taught me, uh, I believe was lunge which is another form of rooster. So here's the theory is you have rooster shape lowers the, uh, strengthens the walking and begins the changing of the body. Lunge is a a vertical circle. And then uh, uh, Lung Diao Ban, Dragon Hangs' Wrist, is a horizontal circle. And then you have Yao San Ba, these are the sort of three traditional exercises, is a diagonal.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: those three plus the rooster is stabilizing the body and opening it up to the three planes of motion. Everything else is derivative of that to a certain extent.
0: Mm. Um, That's really. That, that's very interesting because a lot of st- a lot of the stuff that you mentioned actually resonated with me. And I mean, I'm, I'm training Chen style Tidy. I don't have that much exposure to Luche. but also this that you you don't want to use the, your hips to turn. Like this is what what beginners always do. They always whenever, whenever they try to generate turning power, they use the hips, and then they lose their, their stability because the feet also have to move. That's and right. the separation of hips and waist that is a, a core component. Was really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's right. So for us, the first thing you have to do is move the waist without moving the hips and then you yeah. differentiate and then later on you don't even think about it but at first you have to actively inhibit certain movement part of the problem in chinese martial arts is everybody thinks oh, i'm moving my whole body and everybody wiggles around yeah. but it's yeah. not that it's the opposite of that actually yeah. um so anyway once i sort of went through the crucible of learning how to learn the shapes and my body became developed and more responsive you know at first i might learn a shape and i'd work on it for a month or a couple months but then down the road i'd learn three in a day once i could do it you know what i mean so it's like the slow at first and then it's fast
0: yeah yeah that makes sense and so you mentioned shapes um how how would you describe like what is this what what was the shape to you what does that mean
1: yeah it's a great question so Shingiluha, we have the ten big shapes Shada Shiing is how it's also known to me, ten is a number of multiplicity, right the ten thousand things so I hear that as meaning just making shapes. We have ten because we need a number but <clears throat> once you learn how to make shapes uh, you can make shapes and so what I what I mean by that is... The shape is the object of the meditation because it's what your intention is. It's how you are directing and organizing your body is through the requirements of that particular shape. In doing that and maintaining that intention, you are bringing your awareness back onto your body and developing your awareness so that your awareness is following your intention. And this is the same thing as sitting meditation. Each time your mind wanders off, you bring it back to the posture, which is your intention. And so it's the same process. We develop mindfulness by bringing our awareness back to ourselves. And the unique thing about Kung Fu, as I see it and my experience of it, is that then saturates the body with mind and awareness. And that Mm -hmm. first stage takes time because most people are so fucking abstracted. We're all lost out there. It's the nature of it. And so this turning around and regaining the ground of the body by saturating it with awareness through focused intent is how we really start to get these deeper tissues and get everything to begin to release. That releasing returns us to resting at emptiness. This is why emptiness is what's talked about all the time in these arts, because if you look at where you really are, there's nothing there. We are meeting the world from our central emptiness
0: mm. but when you say posture because you mentioned that, like, oh, there's a certain posture but in it's mostly in movement right you don't have like in the beginning you're not really standing
1: yeah mm-hmm. but each shape is a posture so you're moving but you're moving in that posture mm. so there's a lot of internal engagement that's going on that's sort of almost a uh, held or rigid's the wrong word but it's fixed and then you're mm. learning to move with that without letting it all fall away
0: right so it's a little bit like i mean we, we do have a lot of that in chancel as well these kind of contradicting requirements That's like right. you want to have the posture but you also want to be able to move and that teaches you to be able to move while adhering to certain principles right. of, of posture. And, and-,
1: and this is totally unqualified this is just me saying what i think but uh Uh, You study with Nabil, is that right? You're that, yeah, yeah. So when I look at your guy's Chen style, I love it because I see everything that I see in Shingiluha—the way the body works, the the look, the tendon, the connection, all that. When I started training the Bagua and Tai Chi, and that was, you know, I'd been with my Shingiluha teacher for I don't know, twelve years, fifteen years, something like that. Um, I had moved away. And so I was started studying and going in another direction just because I like to train. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what is my point? Oh yeah. So when I met my teacher, Yusin, it, it's all the same. His bagua, his Tai Chi is just like the Shingi in terms of the tendon method and the way you're using the body. So the shapes are different, but what you're doing, this directed opposition, this recognition of how to, embody these contradictory things such as reaching through the fullness of your body and then re- releasing away from the edges, you know? Yeah. So this is why for me, I do think there's more unifying these things in terms of, you know, again, it's think about gold as a substance. You can make it into any shape you want once you have the substance. And so mm-hmm. training makes our body, the substance, and then the shapes are just, have you learned how to make that shape or not?
0: Mm-hmm. So is so you you talked about the beginning stages of Xinyuju. You said and it it speeds up once you have that basic understanding, like physical understanding. Um, is there is there a larger curriculum because some Chin, some Chinese styles are super expansive in terms of I mean so many like forms and exercises and weapons and whatever. Yeah. Um, is that in in as well, or does it stay this kind of minimalistic? Um, yeah. Training?
1: Well. It- so it's, it's a little of both, you know, so my understanding is this, and I'm not a very, like, I'm not trying to be Chinese. I don't speak Chinese. I'm not trying to like pass on an exact curriculum. That's not really my disposition or interest. Right. You know, I, I learned from my teacher as I understand it. And again, communication is a barrier because of the language stuff. So we can communicate at a certain level, but I can't get into real detailed kind of questioning. Um, our art, which comes down from Lu Gao, uh, has 36 basic shapes to it. That's the curriculum. Hmm. Uh, within that, you could go, you know, it's like the yin-style Bagua curriculum was huge only because you can keep making distinctions. You know what yeah. I mean? So at a certain point, the curriculum is whatever you want it to be, depending on how many distinctions you want to count. Yeah. But the basic piece in Xingyi is small. and simple yeah you know this is the other thing it's like i could show you everything in two minutes but you wouldn't be able to do any of it the way it's supposed to be done but like each shape in shingiluha is just one basic movement one basic movement over and over and because of that the external form that you're learning or copying is is very simple to do it with the requirements is very hard because it's physically demanding and challenging, and you have to maintain that awareness while you're doing the movement, while you're doing the line. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a small, concentrated system. And I like that because I, you know, and even my practice now, right? And, and so this is the other half of that question. What your practice becomes down the road, at least to my experience, varies you know i don't go through the whole thing i've got a few favorite shapes i've got a few favorite bagua shapes i do the beginning of the tai chi you know like and i can go more in any one of those directions if i wanted to but what i'm always working on is the quality with which i'm doing whatever thing it is that i'm doing and there is a consistency there meaning it's always engaging through the whole body it's always getting out to the ends it's always releasing from periphery to center from center to periphery it's it's finding those qualities of good movement and release in whatever particular shape or you know sequence that you're playing with so Mm. to answer your question directly shingy is a small dense thing that can expand out if you wanted it to but it also falls away like i don't do rooster step much anymore i don't mm. need to i already did it i got what was there to get from that and now i'm using that to work in different ways and so yeah. my shingi practice is a lot more standing and single action i don't do a lot of line stepping anymore mm. um mm. but i think it's necessary in the beginning
0: yeah yeah it makes sense was there, I mean, you said that you didn't learn a lot of techniques from your teacher. Was there any partner training specifically that you did with him? Is this a, a big part of Siniljuche or is it really focused on the solo training, on the, the power generation and all of that? It's
1: more focused on solo training. <clears throat> At the same time, there's body banging exercises. So my teacher and I would smash into each other and do all those kind of choreographed stepping patterns where you're hitting your waist. We use trees to bang into as well. So there's Mm. a lot of ancillary practices, um, you know, again, depending on what you want to develop, depending on how you're going to use it, you know, so I learned a lot of that stuff. I don't do any of it anymore. It's just not interesting to me. I don't have the time. Mm. Uh, and I'm not trying to make my body indestructible. (laughs) You know, I mean, a a big thing with, especially Chinese martial arts is people have an immortality project. They think they're going to live forever you know and it, it's that doesn't interest me and i also think it's a misunderstanding of the possibility um
0: yeah yeah it was a big it was featured in. i mean i i studied synology that came up like all the time and, like scholars and every, everybody was fascinated with this idea yeah. um, some people had interesting interpretations like drinking quicksilver like mercury would make you immortal and, and yeah but maybe
1: it's it still exists today look at instagram everybody you know so i mean chinese had that culturally but everybody has that a little bit uh, because you know they they haven't come to terms with it which which is fine i'm just saying the the so for me the idea of making myself indestructible through those kind of practices and there are people that go that road in kung fu and that's great if you like it but not Mm -hmm. my interest
0: Um, yeah it's a part of, part of many traditions yeah
1: yeah and to me one of the interesting things about Luha, and i can remember this when i first encountered it was like how do you use that like how do these exercises translate into application and what my teacher would always say is you fight you just fight you don't you don't try to do a particular thing he'd say the exercises transform your body and then you're strong and you're balanced and you're quick and you're agile and that's difficult to fight hmm. and and you know so like I don't know i mean i if you've seen or been around fights and violence it's not intricate it's not a big exchange it's sudden it's abrupt and it usually ends with who's got more power and who's angrier you know in a certain sense and so um i think the real value in shingy from that standpoint is a the intensity with which you have to do the shapes and the practice to bring about the transmutation is an ability to dial in like that. It is an aggressive thing. Um, And the body that gets created being very relaxed and supple and agile is a hard thing to deal with. And so Mm. it's this combination of being able to be very watery and soft, but also to be able to become very focused, you know? So um, yeah, I I'm a big believer that the whole thing is around, transforming the tissues to create an unusual type of mobility and strength that gives you the element of surprise if somebody that's uninformed just were to try to grab you or you know what have you and that's very useful in a real world context as soon as Mm. you get into a cage and we're in an agreed fight you know then everything changes you know there's a horses for courses as they like to say
0: yeah it's a different context so you mentioned mentioned this kind of like body hardening or conditioning. These ideas are there also elements that I mean, obviously the the, the entire training curriculum, from what I understand, is essentially also a form of strength training, yeah. but maybe not in a in a conventional sense, or maybe most people wouldn't recognize it as such. Are there exercises, though, with weights or something specific you know, as part of Sini that you would also do, like, I don't know, like a big spear or some, some styles to use yeah, that? Yeah, for...
1: it's, it's a great question. The, the the traditional weapons training, heavy weapons, I think is a part of all all the arts. So it is, it is in Shingi. Um, but I would say more to the point, And what's unique and very interesting is the method of strength development in Xing and I would say Chinese Gong Fu done well. What makes it special is that you're learning to use the mind to load the body. Mm. So as soon as I have an outside object, it's not me generating it, I'm in response to that object. But if I can, with my Yi, imagine so a, a, a classic idea that is in a lot of the different shapes of shingiluha is lifting a heavy stone and it is a shape but it's more of an idea and Mm. so my ability to really make this heavy and have my whole body convinced and organized and acting like i'm holding something very heavy here is generated through my own nervous system and ability to hold my body in a state of dynamic contracted strength if you will that is even it's not like Mm. i'm just in my arms i am always spreading and distributing the workload of any shape evenly throughout the whole frame the way a drum is stretched across its frame Mm. so that way all the tissue is being pulled at evenly and that's what you're sensing that's where your mind and intention and awareness are and so the ability to do that over and over changes the tissues, strengthens the tissues, and enhances the skill and ability. So Xing Yi is like this. Each movement, bang, bang, open, close, open, close. It ends, mm. it finishes, it finishes, it finishes. So it's got a different feeling than the continuity that you can find in Tai Chi and Bagua. Mm. But because of that percussive nature, it's very clear And it's simpler because transitioning changes, unless you've built those shapes properly, is really hard.
0: Yeah, this is also this seems to be a big misunderstanding, at least in in, I don't know how how it is in China, but in Europe and, and North America. Uh, when you think about these internal martial arts, that they are kind of arbitrary. But then when you actually learn from someone who really understands it, it's actually super specific. Like I said, with the shape, like very, it's like, no, it has to be like this because there's a very specific intent in this and that actually creates the training benefit. Uh,
1: That's right. Because a shape is just a crucible and it's also active. So every time I make a shape, I'm working with energy, not energy woo-woo out there, the energy of being in that position and mm-hmm. how much it agitates the body is like, that's an energy, that agitation, that difficulty. And then harmonizing with that is how you're transforming things. So the, the creation of the shape is really about the pressure that you create through the restrictions that make the shape. Mm-hmm. And without those restrictions, without those constraints, if you will, there's no pressure buildup and so there's no change
0: hmm yeah, interesting now for for me when, when we talk about actually about strength training for me a natural uh, kind of it's a natural segue to also talk more about health because uh, I mean conditioning like when you talk about this body hardening stuff or toughening up the body it can also have a kind of an adverse effect on, on health if you do it the improper way but um, what I find interesting is that a lot of people talk about health and then when you introduce when you say hey it's also strength training for some people it's like oh but i wanted to train for health and i thought yeah but how is that in, <laughs> how is that the opposite i mean like That's strength right. is the first thing that you lose when you get old so i mean it's like
1: That's right. It actually was a, i think he was german a, a very famous strongman named george hackenSchmidt who said strength should never be divorced from health. Hmm. And it's true. To be strong, to be healthy, is to have a degree of strength, and and so, I guess the, to me the distinction is the type of strength. In Chinese kung fu, everything comes from a softness, and elasticity, a capacity to absorb and receive. It's not a keeping something out there and using my muscle to manage it. It's it's mm-hmm. a, about a joining and receiving and, uh, being able to unbalance in a sense. And so, yeah, Xing Yiluha, well, I would step back and I would say this, that health is a function of circulation, whether it's an economy, a road system or a human body, no circulation, no health, right? Things need to move mm. the whole point of Xing Yi for sure. And, and these other arts, I would say it's in there too is that you are getting the blood and chi out to the end points and that is about circulation and so each time you are developing your strength and your strength is really just a function of your blood and chi getting to the ends there's a fullness that develops you know and this is where this stuff gets a little bit weird and again you have to separate it from the martial piece but like the demonstrable body quality that I look for in a teacher is that somebody has energy at their hands. Like I can, if somebody has, I can just make them lose balance and move just by touch because there's a fullness here. That Mm. fullness displaces. It's not magic. It's not anything other than, you know, one, one object moving another object, but it's a function of there's like a leading edge. Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about here? Have you experienced this? You know the the Pung quality in Tai Chi, right. for instance. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a fullness there. To mm. me, that's a result of the healthiness of the tissue. Mm. That everything is full of blood and chi, and that is because you've created the capacity or the conditions for that to happen by opening up the body, getting the blood moving around. That invigorates the body. That creates a you know your your, your mm. tissue quality can be felt. So mm-hmm. it's not a mystery if somebody's really tight and thin in their tissue they're not going to have a lot of capacity to receive and release.
0: Yeah and, and what I notice is that the the one of the things that a lot of people are uh, it's or, yeah it's highly sought after you know the ability to have a lot of effect with small movements like yeah. or with a, or a very little movement um, i I noticed that I mean you can obviously you can teach that little movement, but usually there's nothing behind it because it also lacks this coordination in the body. but when somebody has it, it is actually like outwardly there's not much happening, but the entire body structure is shifting and changing, and suddenly you can feel all of that well essentially the entire body behind it
1: that that's and, right yeah, you know so internal martial arts i I like the definition that it means that i'm moving within the space of my body itself rather than just moving my body through space. Yeah. You are using the bony structures to create stretches through the tissue through small little movements of like semi-foundational joints and that is the internal movement. It doesn't need to be a big movement and you know This is why I say you have to separate it from fighting. For me, that's a very interesting and useful study because of the healing effects. Mm. And um, at the same time, it's also useful in application of martial art, but only if the person's body has been transformed. And then Mm. what you're really seeing is somebody that it doesn't matter what they do. They've got power behind it and mm. it's not because they're doing something it's because they are that someone
0: yeah would you say that if you proper like would it be possible to properly train Chuan and not have beneficial health effect like if it's
1: well this is this is the rub i mean no i think no matter how you trained it you would get some beneficial health effect because it's just fundamental that you're stepping in the beginning, you're getting exercise. It's hard work. I mean, for me, one of the things, and, and hopefully in this new year, I'll, I'll get a chance to do more of this. I've just, I've had a few, a busy few years. So I've sort of stepped back, but I think shingi Luha for people that are athletes and strong is an amazing art because it's such a challenge. Like I've never mm-hmm. seen anybody that can do the rooster step. The rooster step will just make you want to quit right away and uh so you know it is a very physical practice so you're going to get the health and strength benefits at a basic level just from doing it even if you're doing it wrong but why do it wrong because the real value is in the long-term longitudinal practice you know i mean The thing about Chinese Kung Fu is it takes 10 years, 20 years. It's like if you hear that and you're put off, you're never going to get it because, you know, and it's not like there's nothing happening until 10 or 20 years. It's good all the way. It's just that it really takes time. I mean, at least for me, it has. I've been doing this for over 30 years. and. I can think about the changes in the experience of being me and how I relate to and feel my body. And it's so profound. It's such a world away from what it used to be. And I'm 53 and I'm comfortable. I'm healthy. I'm strong. So it's like, those are the benefits that I put the work in for is the, you know, to be clear, calm, and comfortable. That's, that's what Mm -hmm. I'm after.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned a lot of elements that I would describe also, because I mean, you said it in the beginning, um, Chinese martial arts, it, uh, they do have a connection both to philosophy, but also to spiritual practice, to mindfulness, to all of these elements. Um, we did talk a bit, little bit about this already before we, we started taping, but um, are there specific Aspects or elements in Shinilyuche, we would say, oh, yeah, this is kind of the mindfulness training, or is it just uh, that it's always there when you train it? Or is it is it something different? How would you describe this? Yeah,
1: well, it should be always there. So for me, mindfulness, mindfulness is another word that's been uh, co-opted by the world of, you know, everything means everything. Mindfulness mm-hmm. is specific. The Buddha defined mindfulness as observing the mind's attention as it moves from one object of observation or attention to another. So in Shingiluha, the mindfulness is that your shape is correct, that you don't lose your ding, that you have the He, that all the ideas that go into creating uh, oppositional force to open and connect the body are present during your practice. And that is a function of your ability to stay with the felt sense of the body. And this is what we're strengthening. The mind becomes quiet because the mind has something to tend to, and it's the shape, it's the body. And so you are learning to always operate from that space in a sense. And so there is a, you know, the paradox is you have to be uh, released into yourself but you have to be reaching out through yourself. You have to be relaxed, but you have to be alert. You know, it's like we're, we're trying to bring together, uh, you know, this is where, for me, this is part of what interests me philosophically. Tai Chi, and I, I use Tai Chi as a default a lot, just because of the philosophical clarity of the idea. Tai Chi is simply recognizing that the world is a world of duality and opposites. And Mm -hmm. to find the center, you have to know the ends. So we embrace the paradox of duality and we harmonize it through the Trinity, through recognizing the middle point. Mm -hmm. And so that is a type of awareness that develops and you're learning to develop it by learning to pay attention to yourself. First, your physical body. But then as that changes, you begin to notice more subtle energy in body, the movement of mind, the emotional flavor of an experience. These things can only really be discerned if we've created a space from which to observe them, which is why we have to transform the body and its tissues so that the nervous system releases, the mind quiets down, and then we can hear the subtler conversations that are happening.
0: Hmm. Now, there was one thing that uh, you mentioned this before we, we started taping, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, you, you said that back when you trained, uh, like, well, I mean, you're still training, obviously, but when you were still learning a lot about like, Chinese martial arts, you had this idea that like, oh, I, I, if I just practice enough Kung Fu, then everything will, will, uh, you know, um Yeah, Uh, fall in place and then uh, later on you actually realized actually now that's not really true like specific aspects of I don't know health maintenance but also you know um, mindfulness training you still had to learn about that stuff as well right as as specific
1: yeah I uh, you know I I had this idea because I I, this is how my landscape of my mind works that uh you know uh, harmony if I could bring the body into enough of a harmony through practice, that the mental and emotional levels would also be harmonized. And Mm. at one level, that's true. But I also went through a period of great depression, and I had to step outside of physical practice and meet myself at an emotional level at that level, you know. Mm -hmm. But what fascinates me, or I learned from that, is that the method is the same. And this is what I mean when I say that the terms vary, but the relations stay the same. So because of all my practice, it was very easy for me once I, I was emotionally ignorant in a certain sense. I just didn't grow up with a lot of that. And Mm. so once I realized that and I began to get some sense of that, um, context or landscape if you will it was really quick and easy for me to work with it because my physical body was released and so Mm. then it was very easy for me to stay with sensation because this is what you learn to do and whether it's the movement of mind or the emotional uh flavoring of an experience the the same path is always to be unmoved Right. So it's like standing meditation. The way you're doing it is also the same way you're doing your sitting meditation is also, you know, so for me, inquiry is a big part of my life and the work that I do. And what is inquiry? Inquiry is looking at what you're saying and what you mean, because a lot of the time we'll have a word in it is just a concept to us and we don't know what it's pointing at. And so by looking into it, what do you mean by that? You begin to uncover these things. And so Mm. like, you know, you've read about Chinese martial arts. Emptiness is everywhere, right? The idea Mm. of emptiness is the ultimate attainment. I would say that they don't just mean that as a metaphor or as a thing. It's actual. And so when you really delve into the spiritual journey, when you really begin to look at where you're looking from, what you realize is the elsewhere of your appearance. I've only ever seen myself over there. And that guy's looking that way hmm. where I'm looking from is empty. It's open. Hmm. And so that is a truth to be embodied, but to embody that is to move through all the mental and emotional resistance that goes along with recognizing one's empty center. Because we're Mm. conditioned to think the opposite. I'm a somebody. I'm going to do a something, you know? And so I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but for me, that is uh, the privilege of pursuing that line of question is in the resulting state of being that one attains in terms of experiencing the world. And Chinese Mm. martial arts are exactly that in a certain sense, meaning the the whole metaphor, the whole idea of the story of transformation is um, fully tended to, meaning mind, body, mm. and spirit. Just, I, I'm, I'm amazed at how clever these arts are. But it takes a, a huge effort to actually do them in the fullness of what they offer.
0: Yeah. yeah what, what really resonated with me was also, because I, I, I had a kind of a realization like that uh, for myself as well, that... Some people I mean some people assume that oh, you know, just practice martial arts and it will be it's a perfect physical therapy and emotional therapy and whatever and I don't think it's that. But at the same time, it's very beneficial because it has this neurophysiological neuro-physiolo- training that's in there. And when you then actually look at other, like maybe you have a specific, it can also be, I think, physical health. I realized this myself. I had a couple of issues and it doesn't matter how much martial arts I train, those issues might not go away because that's not what the training system was specifically designed for. That's how right. could it? I mean, they didn't know what, what condition I specifically had. That's but, right. But when I then started looking at it, obviously, all the training was super helpful because I already had uh, an, 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 the, the ability to also, you know, access or, or a kind of like be aware of certain parts of my body and what I'm doing there and I can then correct it and it was super helpful and I, I found the same to be true for, for, you know, the level of the mind or the emotions. It's it's the same because the, the training is actually very helpful in, in terms of the skills that it gives you to, to yeah, kind of access yourself. That's and,
1: right, uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh... The way I see it now is that you, you, you have to pursue mind, body, and spirit in the context of the whole, but you also have to meet each one on its own terms. No. And so in art, you know, the, the, these arts are profound in that they're able to act as systems that can really uh, create a context for the study of all those things, and yet it's useful to clarify further and meet each piece on its own. But the practice of having it in an overall space is just—it's—it's it's so valuable because yeah, when you're doing hard physical practice, emotional come up, all these things. So you have a familiarity with the landscape, but then there may be a need to tend to just the body on a different level than you're going to find through your kung fu practice, or the yeah. willingness to sit with hard feelings that you may just gloss over through the activity of, you know, I—I I, I did a lot of training hard to not feel my feelings. You know what I mean? So. Mm Um, it's, uh, it's such a beautiful practice. You know, my, my biggest complaint would be that, uh, people bring it down to their level too often. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and so it, it loses its shine or, or really what I mean is, is that, uh, you know, it's a beautiful mystery and it's something that we can really participate and be transformed by. Mm -hmm. But having the right attitude is really important because it takes time. And, uh, you know, anything you persist at over a long period of time, you'll have your ups and downs. And and there's a lot of wisdom to be gained in that. I mean, you know, for me now, it's like looking at some of the ways that I got it wrong is painful, but so beneficial, too, because, mm. you know, it's like you got to own all of your experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, since you mentioned, since you already mentioned the shine of the, of the arts, you know, the arts losing their shine regarding, you know, maybe the, the greater martial arts community or, or, communities, I guess there are more than, you know, there's more than one, like what, what, what would you hope for personally? Like uh, how, like where should Chinese martial arts as a, as a training method, as a culture, as a community, where where should this go?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I don't really know. I'd say I'm. In general, positive, because I know there's uh, some really good Western practitioners out there now, and there wasn't when I first started this. I mean, there may have been, but they were fewer and further between, you know. Mm. But uh, I think there's some really good clarity, demonstrable, embodied uh, by teachers of different traditions that are available now, so people that are serious can really actually get something or at least study with somebody who's serious and has something to, to offer it's still going to be hard it's still going to take time and all the rest of it you know i think the two biggest errors are um one getting too fixated on fighting and this is why i'm an advocate of if you if, if that's a thing for you go do it meet it get it out of your system know what it is because if you're studying chinese martial arts and trying to be a fighter you're in the wrong place you know what i mean it's it's like all these stupid videos of tai chi masters getting beaten up by mma guys of course but you know what i mean it's like it's it's just it's too stupid to even have it be a thing some 60 year old guy that's doing park tai chi fighting some 27 year old I mean, come on but uh um so yeah the fighting thing can get in the way and uh it's useful for every man to know how to defend himself so i think it's a good thing to look into but chinese martial arts is uh First of all, Chinese martial arts are training systems. They're not fighting. That's what they are. They're training systems. And then if you wanted to fight, you would test it in the, in that arena. Anyway, enough on that. But then the next thing is it's harder than you think. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of people, especially that are interested in the more subtle spiritual aspects, they don't train hard enough and they don't transform their body. <clears throat> the the profound degree of release and relaxation that are the byproduct of this practice comes from hard work. It's like, you know, John Chas said it beautifully, relax a little, you get a little peace. relax a lot, you get a lot of peace. So like the smiling, <clears throat> excuse me, the smiling tiger um, idea that is in this, you know, this is how I think of my Xing teacher. He was a smiling tiger. He was always smiling, very sweet guy. But he was a bear. What are you going to do with him? You know, he, he wasn't going to pick a fight, but nobody's going to look around a room and say, oh, yeah, that's the guy I want to fight. You know, uh, yeah. so that whole phenomenon of being a smiling tiger is the, you know, discipline gives us permission to manifest our greatness. It is the relaxation of somebody who's done the work. If you haven't done the work, you're not going to be relaxed around it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know what? I think once the episode airs, everybody will start working really hard and, <laughs> and change. No, I don't know. Maybe not. But yeah, I, I can, I, I I can totally understand where where that's coming from because I have made similar observations. Yeah,
1: and but time yeah, maybe too. It, the last thing I'd say is you have to be willing to work with somebody over a period of time if you're going to get their art.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah but i i also agree with you know more access to people who actually have knowledge and skill and not just you know kind of fantasize about martial arts and and i hope that yeah I, ho- I really hope that also the podcast here can help a little bit maybe also you know connecting people making making this more accessible and and helping people understand what the practice is all about
1: yeah i i i, I totally agree and i think uh you're doing a great job to that end and i think uh you know, what I hope I guess is that more people can rally around the commonalities and then appreciate the difference of how the arts get there. Because like, I I look at uh, Nabil and I love his practice. I would love to play with him and and learn from him because I see so much of what's going on there as being something that I'm also doing, but it's different. You know, the shapes are different, you know? And and so, Yeah. yeah, I would love to see more people that are interested in the sort of beyond the form shenfa body qualities that get developed and uh exploring those that's to me what's interesting
0: yeah, yeah. well maybe so for maybe we'll, we'll we'll meet again virtually for the second season when um, because i'm because i'm thinking about maybe you know Doing these more as group discussions, bringing together different people, and then you know maybe look at those commonalities and then talk about, but also the differences. You know, like like you said, it can can be quite interesting as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I would love that. I mean, my my personal goal is on putting forward a context where people can really explore meditation, healing, and movement in this space of finding that through line, which really Mm. you know, I, I my little tagline is release the body. Recognize the movement of mind and rest in rest and being, and this is really whether you're doing that through training, doing that through sitting, doing that through jinshin. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's all the same mindset.
0: Mm. Very nice. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Um, so, so for for the first season, thank you for participating and thank you for sharing all your your experience and your your insights. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch and hopefully. Meet again on the podcast.
1: Sounds good, Daniel. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was nice to be with you. Thank you. Take good care.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you had a great time. The next episode will air next month. And until then, feel free to check out our Instagram account, where we also feature some of the people we talk to, other practitioners and teachers of Chinese martial arts, and anything else that might be interesting in the world of Kung Fu. Thanks, take care and hope to meet again.